If uh, you've been with us, we started a, a little while ago a series on um, basically 16 concepts in the Bible for the whole Bible story, Genesis to Revelation. And we've been taking them, and each one builds on a previous one. So uh, we're just kind of walking through 16 different verses or passages or, or concepts or teachings in the Scripture to build all the way through to the entire story of the Bible. And so we started with the idea that Jesus, that God is the king who creates a kingdom. And then we talked about the idea that he created man to represent him in that kingdom. Uh, we talked about the idea then that, that uh, in that story, Satan came in and tempted man, and man chose not to represent God. And so that kingdom that God had created was marred. And sin had now entered in the picture. We talked last time, a couple of weeks ago, about the idea that God came in and made a promise of redemption. And he told Satan that, yes, Satan would, would bruise the heel of Jesus, but that uh, Jesus ultimately would wound his head. And so we talked about the idea that even back in Genesis chapter 3, God establishes this plan of salvation that's going to occur. Uh, this morning, we're going to see from, from Genesis chapter 3, what happens is we have the story of Cain and Abel. Um, we have the story of Noah and the flood. We have the story of the Tower of Babel. Then we come to, the, to a, 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 a turning point, if you will, in the history of the Bible. And that is God's interaction with a man by the name of Abram. You will know him as Abraham. But his original name was Abram. And God comes to him, and, we're, and, and this becomes a turning point in the Bible. It becomes a key foundation for so much to follow. And so we're going to lay out those principles and try to pull some stuff together. And I'm going to try to finish early because I know a lot of you are like us. You've got graduation stuff that you're running to and being at and all of that. So we're going to try to get out a little bit earlier today because of that. But uh, it's found in Genesis chapter 12. And here's the story. Okay, Genesis chapter 12. It says, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I'll show you. I'll make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and, who, and, you, will, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. So notice what happens now. It says, and God said to Abram. Um, here's the thing. When you think of Abraham, you think of the father of faith, right? You think of this great Bible patriarch. What you need to understand is that at this point in the story, you know who Abraham is? Just a guy. He is just a guy. There is nothing about Abram that stands out for God to say, you. In fact, in the book of Joshua, chapter 24, you know what it says of Abram at this point in his life? He was an idolater. He worshipped many gods. So this guy's not even a guy who's passionately following God or Jehovah. This is a guy who's just a guy. And God says, God looks down from heaven and goes, you. You're the guy I want to use. There's nothing about him 
that makes God choose him. And that's important to our story. And notice what God says to him. I want you to do what? I want you to go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land that I'll show you. He says, you, I want you to leave and walk away from it all. Now, the thing that's incredible about him, and that's why the Bible says it's counted him for righteousness, is you know what he says? Okay. Okay, I'll walk away from everything I know because you told me to. That's why we look at him as a father of faith. But there's nothing appealing about him that would make God want to choose him. And that's important. And so what happens is, and then here's the crazier thing. It gets crazier. Notice what God says to him. God says, I will make you into a great nation. Um, all right, first of all, go back. Go from your country, your people, your father's household to a land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. Here's the problem. You know what his job was prior to this? He took care of critters. He didn't even have a home. He's a nomad. He's a wanderer in the hillsides and the countrysides, and God looks at him and goes, hey, you? I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Really? Uh, I don't even own anything. Doesn't matter. And you know what the other problem is? He is, he is uh, at this point, he's 75, his wife's 65, and they got no kids. Can you imagine? God comes to you and says, hey, uh, you, head out, head out, walk away from it all. I'm going to make a great nation of you and everything else. You got no kids. You're too old to have kids. You got no land. You got no anything. And the God of heaven comes to you and goes, hey, this is what I want to do. You, this, this is my plan. This is my plan. And notice what happened. I will... <laughs> <laughs> I will make your name great. He's a nomad. He is in the wilderness. He's not a big, a big brouhaha guy in the city on the council. He's not anybody anybody would know. And he goes, you, I'm going to make you a great nation out of you. And, and your name, it's going to be great. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I'll curse. All the people on the earth are going to be blessed through you. What he's saying is the Messiah is going to come through your lineage. And guess what? Everybody, everybody is going to know about you. Really? This guy is, he's a nobody. He's a nobody. And yet, there, you, you will be hard-pressed to talk to anybody who has heard anything about religion. Not even Christianity, religion. And say, have you ever heard of Abraham? And, and oh yeah, Abraham. You know, the Muslims even. You know? I mean, all the people, they know, they know about Abraham. Why? Because God said, uh, you. That's who I want to use. Time goes on. You know the story. The guy kind of gets antsy. Tries to figure out all the ways that God's going to do it and does the handmaiden thing and the whatever thing and the, the thing. And, and finally God gets him together. 20 some odd years later, they have... Um, Isaac, and, uh, and, and then God, because God has to finally sit him down and say, hey, look, buddy, uh, not your way. Uh, we're doing it my time, my plan, my purposes. 
you know, stop messing this up. Okay, that's basically what happened. But here's what happens. In Genesis chapter 15, God makes his promise in Genesis chapter 12. Some time goes by, and we come to Genesis chapter 15. And we have what's known as the Abrahamic covenant. Okay? And again, this is a turning point. Here we go. Here's what it says. Genesis chapter 15. It says, But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? In other words, he's talking about this idea. He's talking to God, and he goes, hey, Look, I don't get it, God. You know, um, how is it I'm going to get all of this stuff and do all this thing, and how is all, all this going to happen? And here's what God does. God says, so the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And Abraham brought all these to him, cut them in two, arranged them in halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he didn't cut in half. The birds of prey came down, the carcass, but Abram drove them away. Okay, let me, let me explain to you this whole concept, because this is really, really important for us. This is a really important Bible concept for you to understand, to have a good basis of the whole Bible, okay? At this Abrahamic covenant, what he does is he does what was typically known as a blood covenant in the day. Here's what would happen. Let's say, um, uh, you know, I'm sorry you're sitting in the front, Phil, but, it, it, you know, it, it just worked. Let's say Phil and I are going to come with doing an agreement, okay? So let's say um, Phil is going to sell me um, uh, 400 acres of land, and I am going to say, hey, look, I'm going to pay you so much a month, da 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 Normally, in our culture, we go to a lawyer, we get it all drawn up, we'd all sign and stuff, and boom, it'd be a done deal, and, and we would start, I'd start making payments, and if I didn't, then I, he'd get the land back. And he'd, okay, you know how all that goes in our culture. In their culture, here's what we would have done. In order to seal that, this was, this was BL before lawyers, um, before, before, here's what we would do. We would, we would have a blood covenant, so we would sacrifice an animal. And he would, or I would, or we both would, and we'd take that animal, and so typically, like on a hillside like this, what we would do is we would cut that animal in half, we'd lay one half on this side, one half on this side, so the blood would come running down, and typically it was on like a hill, so that as the blood would run down, it would come into one. And then I would walk through the blood, and Phil would walk through the blood, and we were saying this. If I break my part of the deal, I should be like one of these animals. I should be a dead man. It was a blood covenant. This was common in the day. This was how they made covenants. And that's the important term. It was a blood covenant. And so that's what God is doing with Abram. He's saying, okay, Abram, look, you're, you're, you're questioning this whole thing. So I'm going to make a covenant with you. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to do this. So he gets the animals. He cuts them. He, he, he's got them laid out there. And now he's waiting for God to show up. And so while he's waiting, he's got to keep shooing off all of the buzzards and everything that's coming after the animals that are dead, opened up. The, the animals are going, hey, there's a free lunch down there. And, and, and Abram's going, hey, get away, get away, get away. That's what he's doing. Now notice what happened. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for a certain that 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. This, is the fulfill, this was fulfilled when the children of Israel went in Egypt for 400 years. And, notice, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. He said, look, 
They're going to go in as slaves, but trust me, they're coming out with everything they want. And then he goes on. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried in a good old age. He said, Abram, you're going to live a ripe old age. You're not going to see all this come to this. It's going to happen 400 years from now. He goes on. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Anorites has not reached its full measure. Well, we don't, we're not going to take that rabbit trail. But going on, he says, you know, you're going to come back into the land, and then notice what he says. Now, he's having this dream, and then notice what the text says. This is really important. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I'll give this land, from the wadi of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates, to the land of the Kenites, Kesanites, and all the mites. They're all there, okay? All the ites are there. Here's, here's what's significant about this story. Remember when I said a blood covenant is made? Who walked through it? Both parties. Who walks through this? One party. God only. Because here is what God is saying. God is saying, Abram, not only will I promise to you my part in being faithful to you, but you know what, Abram? I am taking on the responsibility of your part as well. And Abram, if you follow me, great, you'll be blessed. And if you don't follow me and it messes up my plan and I have to continually work with the people in order to get them to do what's right, that's okay, Abram. My covenant with you, really, is I will do my part, and I will be responsible for your part, because I will not fail you here. Have you not wondered when you read the Old Testament, and you read what the children of Israel did, and how they would listen to God, and not follow God, and do this, and God, and the whole time God stuck with them? And you sit back and go, God, you know, I mean, Disney got it right. Let them go. You know, you know, just let it go. Let it go. Um, you know, don't. Why are you doing this, God? Because I made a covenant with Abram. Because I made a covenant and I took on his part and my part. And they are forever mine. And I will never go back on mine. And I am with these people no matter and it is an incredible story because it becomes a pivotal point in the Bible when it comes to God in God saying, I am going to bring a Savior through this lineage. Just as I promised to Adam and Eve in the garden about the whole curse thing and bruising, and bruising his head and wounded his head, just as I promised to you I'm going to make a great nation out of you, I am now going to seal that with a covenant between you and me, a blood covenant, and I'm going to take on both parts of it because this is not something that will fail. Okay? Um, now, here's the problem with this. I've got to take three really quick rabbit trails because I can't talk about this passage without taking these. It would just irk me all afternoon. So, three quick rabbit trails, and then we're going to get back to the story and, and apply it to us. First rabbit trail is this. I don't care what your political affiliation, here's what you need to understand. When God made this covenant with Abram, here's what he was saying. Israel's my nation. Don't mess with them. This was an eternal covenant. Any nation 
that messes with them, it has not ended well. Any nation that has persecuted them has paid the price. Don't mess with Israel. Because I will bless those that bless them, I will curse those that curse them. Be really careful when you watch a nation go against Israel, no matter who it is, because of the Abrahamic covenant, not politics, because of the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 15. Okay? Second application. We have adopted in our culture this idea of marriage being a ceremony. But when you study marriage, what you find out is marriage is sourced in a covenant. The ultimate idea of a marriage is a marriage covenant in which each party takes on the responsibilities of both parties. Where each party says, you know what? I will love, honor, and cherish you. And you know what? Regardless of whether or not you love, honor, and cherish me, I'm in this till the end. Did you hear that? Regardless of what you do, I'm in this for good. When we talk about the marriage covenant, that's what we're talking about. It's not about what I'm getting out of it. It's about what I'm committed to. And that's really important. Now, God comes along later. And he says, all right, I understand that there's some situations here in which I will allow you to divorce. And I think that's allowed under some circumstances in the New Testament. Okay? But it is not God's desire. Because God's desire is that for each of our marriages to be two parties involved all in. Two parties saying, I'm going to outserve and outlove you. I am committed to you, all in. When God made this covenant with Abraham, that's exactly what he was saying. He was saying, Abraham, there is nothing that you can do to make me break this. That's a pretty strong idea when you say, we are in a marriage covenant versus we had a marriage ceremony. There's a big difference, okay? There's a big difference. And to those of you that are sitting here this morning that are married, all in. All in. Okay? Third application, third rabbit trail real quick is this. There are some of you that come from backgrounds here that believe you can lose your salvation. Okay? I understand how you get that. Okay? I understand your background. I understand why, what Bible verses they use. D, 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 D. Okay. But when I see salvation, I see salvation as sourced in this kind of covenant. So I see salvation as primarily my response to God. In other words, it's not based on my performance to keep my salvation. It's based on God's covenant to keep my salvation. My salvation, my eternal security lies not with me, but with God. I think that's why it's so important. You go, I don't, I don't know, I don't see the jump between salvation being, 
being like covenant kind of thing. Well, let me help you. Let me remind you of a passage. Jesus at the Last Supper looks at his disciples and says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till you come. Jesus made it very clear that salvation is tied to this blood covenant idea. And then the, sort, the first time we're introduced to this is Genesis chapter 15 with God and Abram making this covenant and God taking on both parts of it. Okay, does that help you? Okay, that's why we believe, that's why I believe, that's why we practice the idea of eternal security. My security is sourced in God's promise to me that I will never leave you nor forsake you. That you, no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. That's where my eternal security is sourced. Not in my performance, but in God's covenant to me. Okay? So those are my rabbit trails. Now let's talk about back to the story, and let's talk about some things that I think will help us as we go through um, this week. Here's the first thing. God chooses to use people. That's what he takes great delight in. Think about it for a minute. God could have, done, God could have shared the gospel a gazillion different ways but he chose to use people. There's nothing special about Abram. God just says, you, want to use you. There's no reason. You have nothing appealing about you that God said, you know what, I want to save you. Other than, just like we talked in Sunday school, other than with his great mercy and the love with which he loved us. He just simply looked down and said, you know what, I love him, I want to save him. Nothing we can do to polish ourselves up, to make ourselves look better so that we're more appealing to God. God just chose us, just like he chose Abraham. There was nothing special about him. God just said, you, I want to use you. Don't minimize this, folks. I, I deal with so many rural people, so many people here that, that have this attitude of God can't use me. I don't, I, I don't know all the verses. I don't know what I would say. I don't know how. To, look, forget it all. You have a big God who wants to use you, all you need to do is be willing to be used. That's all Abram did. All Abram did was God said, this is where I want you to do. This is where I want you to go. And he went, okay. And then he tried to do a whole bunch of stuff, and then he finally went, okay, God, you got to help me out. And God said, okay, let me show it to you this way. Let's, let's just make a covenant here so you'll, you'll rest a little bit and just trust me, and, and, and I'll do it my way. God wants to use you this week. You go, well, I don't know. Look. I guarantee you God has people to bring across your path this week that you can help. He didn't put you on the planet for you to be about you. He put you on the planet to be able to be here about serving and helping those whom he loves. And you and I have an opportunity every single day, every single week, to serve and help and be used by God. And what you're going to find is, when you open yourselves up to that, you will find life as you never imagined it to be. Because you will find purpose, and you will find meaning, and you will find that, you know what? It's exhausting, but it's a blast. And there's some of you that have no idea because you're, you're so worried about what people are going to think or whether or not you can do it right. You're missing out on this incredible opportunity to let God use you all week long. You know? And I, God wants more than that from you. He wants you to be able to experience that. I think the second thing I see in this thing is this. God's the God of the impossible. 
Or some of you that you bumped up against stuff this week or you carried stuff this week or you're carrying stuff right now and you don't see any way out of it. You don't see how God can use it. You don't see how God can work in it. You, it's just this huge, massive thing in front of you. And everywhere you turn, it's all you can see. God's the God of the impossible. God's the God of the impossible. You, how is he going to? I don't know how he's going to do it. Just like Abram. This guy looking at him and going, okay, I'm a homeless, idolatrous, nomad who has no children. And you're going to make a great nation out of me? Good luck with that. But you want me to leave and go somewhere else? Okay, let's do it. Let's just see what's going to happen. I, I'll trust you. You know, I'll roll the dice on this one. And there's not a person probably on this planet that hasn't heard of Abram now or Abraham because God does this incredible thing through him because he was willing to go, all right, let's just see what God can do. And, and God so many times can do the impossible. And, and, and I... You know, I'm not saying he always will, but he can. And if he doesn't do, and he probably will not do it the way you think it ought to be done or the way you think that it should be done, but you just got to trust. You know, we trust him for our salvation. We got to learn to trust him for our lives, you know. And I mean, let's just get real personal. I'm heading into a week where you want to talk about the big elephant in the room for me. I realize that our lives are going to dramatically change one way or the other on Friday. I serve the God of the impossible. I serve the God who doesn't make mistakes. I serve the God who always knows what's best. I serve the God who I have to trust no matter what. Do I have a way I want it to turn out? You bet. Do I have a way that I pray to God that it will turn out? You bet. Do I have a way that, that I am begging and pleading with God for it to turn out? You bet. But I also understand my way may not be the best way. And he knows far better than I. And so I know this. He has promised whatever comes down the pike, he knows where the limit is, and he'll never let me go past that line. Even though I may think it's too much, it's not past my limit. That's a promise he's made. And that brings me to the last thing in this lesson. You have to learn to trust God and do things his way in his timing and his plans. Abram got himself in trouble because he tried to fast forward what God was doing. God just wanted him to trust and there comes a point in your life where you have to learn to really bank on what the promises of God are. And that's what's happened with some of you is, is you're frustrated right now because you don't know what to do and, and it's overwhelming to you. And, and, and here's my solution for you. Know what the promises of God are and hang on to them with everything you've got. I'm told that there are, the, the Bible uses the word promises over 50 times. Somebody actually tried to count all the promises in the Bible. They ended up with over 3,700 of them. So I guarantee you there's probably a promise in there about whatever you're carrying and whatever you're struggling with right now. And you have to learn. We have to learn to get back to the idea of, okay, this is too much for me, but God says this. And so I go into a week like this with the confidence of this, that whatever this week holds, it will not be more 
than we can handle with God's help and God's grace and God's strength. There's a lot of times God and I have a big discussion about that because I think it went past my limit. But it's not because he promises there's no testing taking you, but such as is common to man, he will not suffer you to be tested above what you were able. It's a promise. James chapter 1. That's why you, that's why you memorize scripture so that when you're up against those things, you go, okay, now wait a minute, God. I know you say this. I'm having a hard time with it, so let's talk. But we still claim those promises. And whatever you're struggling with this morning, I guarantee you, there's a promise from God on how to handle it. And Abram, Abraham, the great father of faith, the one that everybody knows about, you know what he simply did? He simply obeyed. And God said, I'm making this covenant with you. And God, to this day, has fulfilled every bit of it and continues to fulfill every bit of it. Why? Because God doesn't go back on his promises. And he hasn't in all of history. He's not going to start with you. So my prayer for you goes something like this. God desires to use you this week. He wants to use you. He's the God of the impossible. But God works in his time, in his plan, in his way. We have to be the ones to trust that he knows best and not us. Let's pray. Lord, help us. God, I thank you that you made this promise so many years ago. Because of it, Lord, I can have salvation. Because of it, Lord, I can freely come into your presence. And Lord, I thank you that you have offered to me a new covenant, a lasting and everlasting covenant that never changes. And Lord, for some here this morning that may not have that, may you help them to understand the importance and significance of having that relationship, that trust, that confidence. For others, Lord, who are carrying heavy stuff this week, Lord, would you help them to understand that you are the God of the impossible, that, Lord, you want to work and you want to use them, and that, Lord, you are with them every step of the way. May they see you instead of the circumstances. And, Lord, when all is said and done, when we come back together this week, next week, Lord willing, God, may we be able to look back and see the fact that uh, for some crazy reason you were able to use us this week. And we'll give you the honor and the glory and the praise these things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's stand together.